Oh, welcome back to Topper Podcast. Please tonight's got the usual man in the studio, Zachary Hutchinson. We're back. There's a lot of rugby going on, and we thought we needed to have a bit of a catch up. So, how are you, Zachary? And what have you been up to at the weekend? Yeah, this is my yeah yeah first first pod, first pod move in the new digs. I apologise to all the listeners out there with the lack of microphone. I'm gonna have to source another one so my apologies if I don't sound as good as you tell but no weekend was good I was at the premiership final the joys of uh living in London you can just hop on the overground and yeah we train the Twickenham so so yeah shall we just kind of crack on with that or what do you, oh, yeah. do you well, who are you supporting? Who are you supporting where are you sitting so I was sitting in the east stand um yeah, it was good atmosphere. It kind of felt like a, a festival of rugby. Um, almost a lot of fans around there just wearing their own team shirts. You know, a lot of Exeter, a lot of Northampton, Bath, Gloucester. There was even an Ulster shirt floating about. That was kind of bizarre. Um, a couple of uh, IPL shirts as well. Not quite sure why the Royal Challengers Bangalore were there, but they were there. Um, so yeah, I think it was um, it was kind of more of a festival of rugby almost in in, in that in that sense but yeah it was a weird atmosphere because for it only being 60,000 people it was pretty loud and I know from the TV camera angles watching the highlights Twickenham purposely actually put like basically the empty section of the stadium was the side with the camera so you could so it looked fuller than what it actually was in reality it was actually it was quite empty it was very noticeable 62k I seen so which, to be fair, to get 62k, considering the teams that were playing, you know, Saracens don't have a massive fan base, you know, so, and then Sale, obviously, up north is a factor, so, so no, I thought that, um, but it was still, it was, a, it was a great game of rugby, I thought, um, really good intensity, um, and Saris kind of pipped it at the end. It did feel in the build-up that... The pain of Freddie Burns was going to drive the Sars inside to get Premiership number six, and it just it felt inevitable very early on. But Seal put such a good fight and made it a proper final, a bit similar to that one back in twenty nineteen when it was Saracens Exeter and it was try 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 you score I score I score one of those type of finals and Seal really gave it their all. And Alex Anderson said after the game, "Can't be." Can't be annoyed at the boys, you know, they showed they compete at that level, they didn't buckle under the pressure, they just, they mixed it with the big boys and just came just, I think some of Saracen's big plays came off you know, Max Millen's try different yeah. things like that, a few of the big time moments paid off and we'll get into the RC final in a bit um, where chances were left out there and it just, the Saracen didn't leave anything out there, but then Seal always responded, but it always felt like they were playing Catch up. I think, never were, I think even when they were up, there was a feeling in the stadium anyway that um, it was almost like Sale were still playing catch up, even though they were they were ahead. There was a moment in the game where Sale kicked to the corner, which was the corner we were in, um, when they could have gone for posts, and I think it would have been probably, I think it would have been Sale, I think maybe five or six points up. It was over over three points up, and. If, if they'd taken the penalty and then they, they lost the result in line out. And it was kind of like, it felt like the moment, that's the moment the game just, the momentum stayed with Saracens. 
Um, and they just showed like what this is what champions do. It's what winners do best. They they win. They had that culture of winning, which probably drilled them over the line in in the end. And Owen Farrell showing that he is the the main man for for England too. I think you know. Well, that was a lot of it. That it was Farrell v Ford audition for the ten for the World Cup type thing. And there's rumours now. I don't know if you've seen them. Marcus Smith's apparently eyeing yeah, up a move to Racing 92. So it's amazing how much competition there is for that 10 jersey. And we always come back to just Owen Farrell put in those big performances. And plenty of people have said it'll, he'll have to retire before he's seen as one of the greatest English players ever. And I think he performed one of his greatest ever, anyway, big moment finals. I know that strip of money to Lange, little, I always talk about the big moments. Physicality, you know, it's the physicality. In defence, and then the 50-22s in attack, uh, faultless off the tee, pretty much. So you can't, can't fault sorry. They're just, they're just that machine that just keep on winning. And what do you think of Theo Dan coming on, trying to be Dan Sheehan uh, for 50-22? <laughs> Yeah, that was literally was gonna say like chat all you want about Owen Farrell, but the moment of the match <laughs> was Theo Dan. I actually didn't even realize it was him until I watched the highlights back because we were quite far away, so I couldn't properly see who had that did the box kick fifty twenty two. <laughs> I I thought it was like uh, I don't know, I thought it was maybe like you know um Tompkins or something um from my angle, but I couldn't believe. Like, I mean, fair play. And he's been earmarked as like the. He was, you know, not a hooker, but had the athleticism of a, you know, a Dan Sheehan, a Ronan Kelleher, and basically Saracens wanted to start doing that, wanted to find someone like that. So he's been down in the, basically in the National League, just grinding, learning to be a hooker when he's got the body and physique and the, you know, game awareness of an outside back, pretty much, or a back rower, so... And he's started and he's learned his line out to build his way back up. You know, he's not young, he's not a young pop, but he's he's, you know, yeah. similar age to Angina and also and you can see that even by that, him doing that, that Saracens are trying to think ahead and look for that next generation of hooker, which Ireland will get onto their squad, but they're pumping them out now. And I know friend of Pod Harvey said it so many times. I want a Don Sheehan in an England team. I just want that type of hooker and that there's one coming through there. Yeah, there is. There is. I think though, like we can't not talk about the prem final without talk, talking about Mark McCall. I mean, we have had a lot of chats over this weekend about Mark McCall. Um, I mean, the greatest is what you were trying to say. The greatest I was club coach. To say that he has won how many? Six, six premierships. Now, bearing in mind some of those were due to dodgy financial dealings, but you know. I think there's an argument to be made, even without the salary crap breaches. I know it was cheating and stuff, and I'll probably get abuse for this on Twitter. But, I mean, at the same time, you know, he won three European Cups, and the salary cap doesn't apply in Europe, so we can't say he cheated for those. You know, he's won six Prems, three European Cups. What more can he do to be talked about in the the Leo Collins of this world. I mean, we, you, you know what I mean? I don't understand. Well, I do under, well, I have a theory about why he has been kind of neglected, but he has been neglected. And it's the same with players too. There's players that go across the water and they're neglected too. Some for 
fair, extremely fair enough reasons, but others, the likes of Garen Steenson, Ian Witten, Jordy Murphy was obviously a classic one, um, being over at Leicester and Declan Kidney didn't really have him in favour. And he was playing unbelievable rugby out there, winning premierships and stuff. So it's I think it's just that things like when you leave Ireland, you're not you're not in but the Irish system. You're not you're not going to be ranked against other Irish coaches unless you're in Nagara. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. I think it's different though if you're a Leinsterman, and it's different if you're a Munsterman. It's different again. I think like you know, there's 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 a hierarchy to this thing. You know, there there is. And if Mark McCall was from outside Dublin. You know, no, but does he want to, Zach? Does he want? Does he? Do you want? No, that? I, it's not, I, I know it's the bail and all to you, but to Mark McCall, it, he might not want the Ireland job, and you, you might just be assuming because he's Irish, that's the pinnacle, that's the bail and end all. And from not, no, as I you say, say, even getting interviewed is what you're trying to say. He's not even getting on the, on the interview panel. No, I would say that there's probably an element of there was probably I reckon. You know, with none of the absolutely zero knowledge of the situation, I reckon there was probably a time over the past decade where his name has come up in conversations and he's probably been aware of it. And because it's never it's not gone anywhere, he's probably just said, Well, it's never gonna come to me, so I'm just gonna focus on on Saris. You know, and like I just it does annoy me though. And I think only this weekend it actually began to annoy me because it's never annoyed me before because you were going on about Rog. And I was just like, oh, whatever, you know, a couple of weeks ago. <laughs> I'm annoyed, you know. Um, I just, yeah. You know, well, and like, oh, won, yeah, he, won the, he won the Magnus League or the Celtic Cup or whatever you want to call it with Ulster back in 2006. No, he's won multiple. He's won so much at club level. He's ready for an international job. But there was a I bit of chat that. when we had Chris Jones on. He was wondering why for the England job, there was never any Mark McCall chat. There's, there's no doubt why, even for that, he should be considered, he should have been, you know, Steve Borfrick just swung in and won one premiership and got the job type thing. If yeah, he doesn't, but... if he doesn't put himself up, that's a different question if he wants to be a club coach, but that, that think... narrative, I've never seen it before. Do you think though, maybe it's got something to do with the salary cap? Breaches? Well, I think, I think he's proven when he lost a load of his squad and rebuilt and gone and won it again. And got to the final last year that but it's more than the it's more Saracens it's hard to say they would have done it without the salary cap, but the main core of Saracens is their academy players, Owen Farrell, Jamie but, but, George, Maro Toji, these are players that have been developed up through the Saracen system. Yeah, they got the Will Skeltons and stuff maybe slightly illegally through the salary cap, which was the and Liam Williams and that was just for the That was just for the premiership though. So you can say like, okay, some of his premiership titles are in question, but you can't question his three European Cups. And you can't question him all the weekend if he's yeah. going through the protocols now. So. Yeah, I mean, so like, I'm just, yeah. You know, if it was anyone else, if you were from Limerick, if you were from Dublin, there would be different sorts of chats being had, I reckon, personally. But anyway, we'll not dwell on that, sure. But in uh, your opinion, he is the greatest club coach out there. If there's an international job going, you think he's at the top of everyone's lists? I think he has to be. Not just because of the fact that his record proves it. Six prem titles, few asterisks. In is there. he one of those people that can only do it at, say, a Saracens? Because it's completely well, different elsewhere. 
at the end of the day, you gotta to remember too, yes, okay, Mark McCall is the leader of that ship, but also like it is the it's the team around him that that makes it too. You know, he's got an incredible team um with him. So you got you've got that kind of element you need to you need to think about too. You know, he had Alex Anderson there for many years during those kind of golden years. Think about all the great coaches that come from him. He has coached a Steve Borfoyt into becoming England's head coach. You know, he he was coached under Alex his wing. Anderson into becoming, you know, second best coach in the premiership this season, you could argue. Richard so Wigglesworth was also there yes. as Arsons. Now he like the whole final four was just Mark McCall's people he's developed. It is crazy. Bring him back and he's actually the coach for the provinces. And then he coaches the coaches of the provinces. <laughs> he wants to make it a bit harder for himself. So then he brings someone in. It's a bit like Pep just Handing out Mikel Arteta and giving him a few good players and saying, Right, make this year exciting for me. Yeah. And he'll win it anyway. But no, Marble Call's right up there, Zach. It's a good chat to have, I think. Um, he'll get a love from us anyway. Um with our little with our little Ulster accents. I'm sure it's pretty obvious why we're banging the Mark McCall drum, but he deserves it anyway. Um on to then the next final of the day, your C final and that was similar. Fifty-five thousand people in Cape Town, packed down stadium. Stormers against Monster, and yeah, it felt in the lead up. And I had to chat with you about it when I said the Monster rebuilds on, and you kind of threw that one under the carpet, thinking a couple of lucky results. I don't know if this rebuild is on. Leinster B team, blah blah. By the end of the day, they went away to South Africa. They got a win and they drew, which snuck them into the playoffs. Then they went away to Glasgow, a good Glasgow side that got to the Challenge Cup final against Toulon, beat them in Glasgow, then went to the Aviva, beat Leinster in the Aviva, then flew away to South Africa in front of 55,000 travelling fans and 50,000 Stormer away fans, defending champions, and won the ERC. That is... Credit where its credit is due. That is simply incredible and debatably one of the most impressive league runs you can have. That's just pure monster spirit. That that is like that's what it was. That's pure. It's it's the monster of old in a sense. You know that kind of the 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 spirit of two thousand and four and two thousand and eight. You know winning those European cups things. Um. Do you think they just kind of okay. not lost it, but maybe went away from what makes Monster so good, and they didn't really realize they were doing it, and then it just took, it just took getting a new coach in and then reassessing, and then this year, you know, big calls, you know, dropping Joey Carberry out then just investing in Jack Crowley, and some huge decisions were made, but it all came from the core of Monster, which is. Monster born and bred talent, young monster talent from Cork, Limerick, and all those areas. And these are the monster boys. They love the club and they'll they'll take Monster to the top. And I think as well, Monster, like let's not underestimate what Monster has gone through too. You know, they lost Anthony Fo- Foley tragically as well. And I know that now that's coming up on God, it was twenty sixteen, so Seven seven years ago, you know, like for a for a for a head coach to suddenly pass away and then and to bounce back even from that, I think. And Razi leaving, Razi leaving South Africa, then nipping Razi off them when they were just getting going with Razi. So in some ways, 
it's been a really kind of stop start roller coaster for for Munster for the province and absolutely incredible. You know, for the fact that the Stormers, that video going around of the Stormers celebrating a Munster win because it meant they had a home final, to then lose it um, is incredible. I mean, like, from the starting 15 to the 23 to the whole squad, the coaches, but then also the fans. The amount of fans that travelled to Munster was incredible. Have um, you seen the, scene, the scenes in Fulham Park today where they yes, greet them when they came Fulman back? Park. You know, like they're back celebrating. It was like it's incredible. It, it it's it's awesome to see. Like I love it. Like I love it. Obviously, you'd wish it be Ulster or whatever, but um, I just love it. You know, it, does it give it, hope? Does it give hope to other sides now that it's not just, just it's not just not that it's a bad thing when Leinster win and success breeds success and that's the spine of the Ireland team, but for. The URC, just in general, for Stormers to have won it last year, Munster to have won it this year, two different winners in its first two years, the playoffs being so unpredictable where, you know, Leinster lost, I've lost two home semifinals in two years now, and you've had two winners which probably weren't on paper meant to be the winners. And even last year, Ulster should have won out and the Stormers lost to a last-minute kick. Some of the games have been incredible in those knockout games. And there is, obviously, the complications with the travel and stuff, which Monster proved was an issue. And yeah, it's true. Massive final like that, you wanted more fans. Because if it wasn't Monster, you wouldn't you wouldn't have many travelling now. That's, yeah, the top, that's the top travelling side. So I think as well... The league, like, how good is it? Yeah, that's the thing. Like, when you compare... The two, when you compare Monster, or sorry, when you compare the ERC against the Premiership final, it's total contrast. I mean, you watch the ERC in real time, obviously reporting on it, but like it, it, it was just for me. There's just a total contrast from this weekend, you know. And we'll get into it. You know, the Prem has seen two teams be suspended. Um, well, one of those is you know completely gone. You know, London Irish look like they're on their way to. If one one league is dying, you know, if you look at the attendance records of the Premiership finals of the past few years, it's constantly going down. And then you can contrast that with, you know, strong crowd, considering the circumstances in South Africa, the the momentum the league seems to have, and even with the issues that the Welsh regions are having, and the fact that, like, you know, you've got to understand there's not a lot of money in South African rugby either. Um, there just seems to be more momentum behind the ERC. This is the league going forward. If you were to say this three, if you were to say this before COVID, you know, it would be the opposite. You think the English Premiership was unstoppable; they couldn't do it in Europe. But there was a sense of this was some of the best rugby in the Northern Hemisphere, and I think it's just I think the this the t- the tables have turned, and it didn't happen this year. Well, it did it to an extent. You had a couple of. South African teams in the quarterfinals, which started to mix, they started to mix it now in Europe. Um, I know they didn't go any further than the quarterfinal, but to have a few of them in the quarterfinals, you were seeing more URC top 14 and Premiership. And I don't know about you, but I know Saracens had Lara Shell away, which is under, like, kind of forgotten about in Lara Shell's. Um, you, you know, European Cup win, and they low key just put Saracens away with ease at home. That 
how were you to watch in the Premiership final if we they were going to do a final of all finals, top fourteen, URC and Premiership? Do you think it's a bunch of mushness and on their day, like the quality is still across the board. It's just the infrastructure that leagues need to be be improved. At the moment, I would go with infrastructure. I do think the quality of the top fourteen, but then again, can you separate? I don't know if you can separate quality and infrastructure. Top 14 is the best league in the world. And key to that, and the priority to it, is the infrastructure that's behind it. And it's taken years and years of preparation to get to the point now where the top 14 is an incredibly well-supported, well-funded, high-level rugby. Whereas you look at the English Premiership, the RFU have to take full responsibility and well not full responsibility but take a lot of responsibility over the fact that it is a failing league and the geographical placement of teams is also a massive issue um, that they have failed to to deal with and they're going to have serious issues London Irish will probably not be the last team if you look at some of the finances coming through um, at the, even at the end of this financial year you know, these English Premiership clubs make losses. They don't make... I think the Saints were the only team to make a profit this year. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. And so, yeah, I think at the moment, the quality is still across the board on their day. But I would say at the same time, if you were to rank them, it would be, the English Prem would be last. The Saracens mix it, as we've seen. They got to look, okay. You know, they would have went further in Europe if they avoided La Rochelle and Exeter went far in Europe. So it shows that they're... But, but you can say about the ERC, you know, you've got Leinster, Munster, Stormers, Ulster, Glasgow on their day, maybe. You know, mixing in with the likes of the Dragons and the Scarlets. You know, so there's that element too. So you kind of like you have that across the leagues in a, in a sense. But uh, certainly at the top level of each of the three main Northern Hemisphere leagues, the quality kind of goes across them all. Um, but then... Yeah, you, it's not a competition. It's not who's who's better. What league's better for rugby to grow? For rugby to be better, all the leagues need to be strong, powerful. And then you touched on London Irish there. If the news, obviously the news at the moment as it stands, is they've been given a one today was D Day, and they have to get the takeover pretty much. You know, show it's it's happening, and they've been given a one week extension for that to get that over the line. If they were to get saved, and I think we are just looking at Wasps and Worcester when we were told in those circumstances that they were getting takeovers, you know, and I know listening to podcasts that a lot of the players were like, oh, we're getting, it'll be fine. We've been told we're getting taken over, you know, it's fine, it's fine. And they went down. Is there a conversation that maybe London Irish could get saved by the takeover and it isn't all doom and gloom? Or is it paper and over crack, Zach, and then couple of months down the line you might have another team and you're not surprised by any teams that are honestly like it kind of feels like any team could go under at the moment you know like it is it's absolutely crazy the only thing you could do is is reduce the salary cap but then that has massive implications um in other areas the system is broken in england the system is broken and a lot of people have to take up and take or stand up and take responsibility. RFU have to take responsibility. They have not planned well. They have not seeded strong um, infrastructure at all. 
the the geography the geographical displacement of teams is crazy. You know, you saw Alex Anderson and the Seal players wearing hashtag rugby or Northern Rugby Matters t shirts. It's true because they're like between them and Newcastle, and you feel like Newcastle could be one of them too. You know, there's there's not enough teams in the north. There's too many teams in the south, and you look at the CVC or CVC, yeah, CVC and the and the finance that's kind of the dealings that are going around. That hasn't worked out either. You kind of thought at the time that was the big savior, but actually it's been an absolute mess. So there's serious issues. That, that need to be addressed. And if Irish do get saved, that we pay a burn over the cracks. Um, I hope they do, because you don't want to see, especially a team like their history, um, going out of business. But this is crazy. Something, I don't know, I couldn't tell you what the solutions are, but the system is fundamentally broken. And you're getting to a stage where you're maybe not having enough teams for a league. You're going to have to yeah. change the format very, very quickly. How, how many is that left now? From the Irish group? Uh, nine? Eight? Nine? So you've got, you've got that. You're right. You're totally right as well. You've got that to deal with. Um, and then the whole debate of Jersey Red won the championship. You know, they won the championship and no promotion again. So what, yeah, there needs to be massive conversations around ring fencing, around what do you do, how do you make it competitive, around centralization with the RFU, all these things need chat need talked about. Like there needs to be a massive overhaul here. Um because and it you is, see it, if you look across the water to the ERC, which is a new league, which they took so many risks setting that up. And the South African teams at the start and COVID and so many games getting cancelled and it was it started off a disaster. And you know there's Journalists and pundits out there tweeting, give this three years, and it's it's nearly three years, and it, it's going well. So it shows how quickly you can positively change a, a tournament and an infrastructure, but now's the time. There's chat in Super Rugby that the Australian teams want out because New Zealand don't want them to, so just <laughs> mix it. Just go for it. <laughs> but A World Rugby League. That'd be a nightmare. Um, yeah, I don't know. Rugby, like, there's serious issues in rugby on a domestic level, which, like, I don't think we're really talking about enough. And all it takes is for a league, probably we'll need, like, a league to implode. <laughs> At this rate, it could be the prem. Um, to kind of, like, people to really kind of sit up and take notice of, okay, international is what we love. And there is that element of because rugby union is so focused on the international game, Less so than football. You know, we only get really excited about, you know, internationals every two years when, you know, the Euros come around or the World Cup comes around. But there's that element of because the because the priority is international, the domestic system in certain uh, in certain um nations is being is being left behind. Serious issues. So well uh, but you being there at, you being there at the pinnacle of the of the year and seeing how great the day was and the spectacle, you know there's there's potential. There's so much potential yeah, in that league, there's so much history in that league that it needs it needs sorted as soon as possible. Otherwise you're just going month month on month, week on week, waiting to see who's the next Prem club that's nearly gonna be suspended because to lose yeah, three yeah. is absolutely crazy and 
This isn't a URC is better than Prem chat because URC was struggling big time and Leinster were just dominating it and they weren't getting big revenues pumped in because it wasn't an exciting league and it'll be interesting now how the Prem goes because the competitiveness has always been there although Saracens are the top dogs the competitiveness has always been there and they need to go go back to the what what was successful there and that was exciting games and anyone can win any game and yeah credit to Saracens getting the job done credit Munster first time in 12 years getting the job done and but on to the squad Zach so Ireland have announced 42 man squad for the Rugby World Cup warm up training camp and not too many surprises in there but it's interesting because we just chatted about Munster there a lot of people are wanting a lot of new Munster boys you know like for example, um, John Hodnett scored the winning try, looked really good in the final, was buzzing around everywhere with his little red scrum hat seven and didn't get in. Do you think, and John Klein was, you know, an ever-present second row, started every single game for most of this season and didn't get in. Do you agree? Because obviously the narrative is Leinster lost the European Cup final, Monster just Monster on the up, basically. Leinster are on the, not the decline, but they lost, so they're not on that upward trajectory they were after the, after winning the Grand Slam and all, or is Ireland separate? And just because Munster won the league does not mean Munster now are the spine, because you, you, there, it's been interesting reaction on social media, the amount of Munster fans that are now, this player should have been in, this player should have been in, you know, we did not watch Mike Healy in the final, etc., etc., and they've got a point, you know, that's the biggest that's on the biggest stage in the in the league final. But Farrell would have had the squad pick for the final, I assume, which is the main crux of it all. Yeah, like I understand Munster fans' frustrations. I mean, could you imagine if Ulster went down to the Stormers, went down to Cape Town, won the ERC, we'd be screaming for every single Ulster player one to twenty-three to be in the <laughs> to be in the Ireland squad because they've proven themselves. But you understand, that's just not the way Andy Farrell works. Yes, okay, you know, there was a few... Yeah, I think Klein is probably one of the big ones. But other than that, you know, you look at that squad, not a lot has changed in that squad, um, really. You know, I know that, like, there's only three uncapped players. Here in Frawley, I would say it doesn't really count because he's been kind of involved in so many training camps. Well, they've all, they've all been involved in training camps. Jimmy Osborne... Yeah. Here Frawley, um, Calvin Nash, who's one of those monster players that starred there in, in the latter yeah, rounds and got and got a chance. But he's already been in camps. He played against all these guys were involved in that game against New Zealand A at the RDS. And Tom Shirt's the other one. Good reward for a very good season with Ulster. So it shows that yeah, Farrell's this is the this is a grand plan which has taken four years to get into place. Monster winning a league a couple of months out from the World Cup, sadly for Monster fans, wasn't going to change the whole squad. And then Jack Crowley's 10. But that's the interesting one now. There is, there isn't much conversation that Johnny Sex has been out since the Six Nations and no real chat about when he's coming back. Do you, are you trying to say then that there should be a serious conversation around Crowley v. Burn? I think I think in the, I think in the last two weeks, in in the biggest moment in the European Cup final, Ross Byrne 
not that he failed to deliver, that's incredibly harsh, but he didn't Jack Crowley was in the exact same position and got his side in a position where he could take a drop kick and win the game. Ross Byrne was in that position and had to try and get that done. But do you think, though... But again, you don't base a full World Cup squad on one or two moments, but Jack Crowley has proven again in that final. He played really well, Monster scored, and he nailed the touchline conversion to take it to five points. He's proven... Yeah. He's proven one thing, which oh. probably if you asked him at the start of the season what he wanted to achieve anyway, which is he wanted to prove that he is the Ireland number three. He's number three at ten. You know, Joey Carberry is long gone from the picture now. Um, which is crazy. Harry Burns not getting a look in either. It's Sexton, Byrne, or Ross Byrne and Crowley. And Harry Byrne missing out now on selection to be on the bench in the European Cup final was that's the thing when you're at Leinster and you miss out on a match day squad you're missing out on Irish selection because Leo went Leo went for Frawley on the bench and it was only a few like Frawley was the man ages ago it's true it's true you know and there's not even there's no Sam Prendergast although obviously that was a bit of a bit of a long shot but I think it was a long shot. There was like was extended, was extended squad, extended squad, and I think those are the three best hands at the moment. And there's and Crowley, Crowley is doing exactly what people have wanted him to do, and what they wanted all the tens to do. Someone genuinely pushing hard and winning games on his own, not on his own, but you know what I mean. But having massive moments, and there's conversation. He's going in now, not as number three, but looking to get match day number two because he can play twelve and he can play fullback. Yeah. So six two against South Africa type thing. But he's in. He's in. There's no surprises, he's in. And any other surprises for you? So the, the, the big conversations are around Keith Earl's got in who so Shane Daly starts ahead of Keith Earl. It's as simple as that. Shane Daly starts every single week for Monster on the wing ahead of Keith Earls. Wins a trophy for Munster, but Keith Earls then is picked in the Ireland squad due to his experience. I do get it because... Oh, you do get it. Because let's be real, Daly was getting nowhere near match day 23s if he was half in, in the squad. Dude, I really do rate him. I think no, he's no, no, one I think of those... he's great. But like, knowing Andy File, knowing the sort of teams that he's going to pick, he's... Daly's not in the conversation for this 23. Now, to be fair, I don't understand why he picked Stockdale ahead of Daly. I think you can sort of see there. I'm like, I don't get that. But he throws with the experience that he has, not just, you know, not just, just in general, but, you know, the fact that you're going to be touring, okay, it's France, not like you're touring like New Zealand or something. But, you know, that, like, experience just across the board on the international level cannot be understated. Um, And, yeah, if anything, like, Keith Earls is, like, your perfect, um, you know, who do Ireland have in their group, like Tonga or something? You know what I mean? Like the perfect like Tonga captain. Midweek <laughs> captain, I know what you mean, yeah. Captain, you know what I mean? Like, kind of like Lions, midweek captain. Keith Earls is your man. And then, I know it It's it was fair, it's like a late push for Munster, but like Antoine Frisch was big presence at 13 for Munster, and then to see Jimmy Osborne yeah, retained yeah. in the centre, like, it That's is the debate. What, 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 in your opinion then, just to wrap it all up in terms of an Irish squad, do you think you have to you have to reward what you've done in a green jersey? And someone like Antoine Frisch and Mike Healy, who've been 
essential in Monster winning their first trophy in 12 years because they've not been in camp and Farrell's not not had them in his presence they can't be considered you have to you have to you have to have been in camp at least because Jamie Osborne clearly has been in camp yeah, and impressed camp. and yeah. even though he's got injured that's the reason he's in so look even like someone like Calvin Nash getting in Ed Sheen Daly he's been in more camps recently both have had terrific seasons on the wings for Munster. So do yeah. do do you see Ireland as separate then in terms of getting in squads? Yeah, definitely. I think that's the way that's Andy Farrell's philosophy. That's the way he set it up. I think as well, just you know, top down from just the RFU in general. It is I think it and I think it has to be too. Like well, I that think... is your debate about Stockdale. Farrell was the assistant coach where he was arguably yeah. Yeah. the best winger in the world. And I he think knows what he can do money in the bank. He's in the squad. And I think that's why Stockdale probably, you know, that's why he, he kind of he, he nips it at the end. But like, yes, I think you have to. You know, it, it'd be different if it was a random Six Nations that there was no World Cup on the horizon. Yeah, you, you maybe would throw some players in or whatever. But also, Six Nations happens at a different time of the season anyway. But no, we're going into a World Cup here. It starts now. We're in we're in June in two days' time, which is crazy. I was thinking like, why are we talking about the World Cup? And I was like, actually, because it's three months away. Um, no, you go with the squad that you've been building, the culture you've been building, the philosophy you've been playing, and bring it on. And that's why there's no one new really involved. Obviously, there's four people that haven't been capped, but the reason they haven't been capped is because in the camps they were in, they just for one way or another, didn't get on the pitch. Yeah, There's no one new now in the Ireland setup. Tom Stewart will get capped soon in the warm-ups or whenever. Yeah, and oh. like we're playing Romania, we've got... As well as Osborne and all well too. So, yeah, no, definitely. Um, And I look at the squad and I'm like, this squad... And can you trim that? Can you trim that by 10 pretty easily? Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, with some probably some big decisions as we're saying, like yeah, in the back three. But you definitely could trim, trim around the edges. But yeah, but no, Ireland. Are you confident looking at that squad? It kind of like that, rugby's done. It's now like we're now turning our attention to the World Cup. Yeah, it was just it was. I feel the monster frustration in the fact that you've won a league. And especially someone like Mike Healy, who for me has been the best fullback in Ireland behind Hugh Keenan now for a number of years. It's really top, top tier. And he never gets a look in. And it's frustrating, I know, but I get as well from the other side. You can't just pull, you can't just scrap it all now and change it just based on, you know, a bit of form at the end of the season, really. Yeah. Um, as harsh as that is, you know, money in the bank. And every player look in that squad to put money in the bank. And the likes of Tom Shirt and Jimmy Osborne that have late, had late pushes, you know, they've had late pushes and they haven't finished the season. Obviously, Tom Shirt of Ulster disappointed into the season. Jimmy Osborne disappointed of injury, but they got there quick enough, you know. Right now, no one can get in. This is it. These are all the boys that can go to a World Cup. Obviously, injuries and all you can come into it, but it, it, I think that can get trimmed. And I think Farrell even has his playing ready, so. There's not much to do, but in these warm-up games, if someone does something incredible, which we'll obviously get onto when they happen, then get trimmed. But 
Now, as you said, Zach, no real surprises. Like Stuart McCluskey and all, he, he's retained boys that have done it in the green jersey. And, yeah. This is us starting to teeter on World Cup hype, so we'll leave it there before we get too excited because that's coming now. We're now going thick and fast for going into World Cup. But, though, good okay. to have you back on. And, yeah, we'll catch you soon. To anyone that's made this far in the podcast, follow, follow us on all our platforms. Spotify at Tell For Podcast, Twitter Rugby Tell, Instagram Tell For Podcast, even on TikTok nowadays, we're everywhere at Tell For Rugby. So please follow us everywhere and we'll catch you next week. <laughs>